Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to a special seasonal episode of A Stab in the Dark, UK TV's chart-topping podcast that delves into the murky depths of crime fiction and TV crime drama. Just when I thought we were winding up for the end of the year, I was unceremoniously bagged up like a Christmas turkey and dragged back into the studios, just so we could present more crimey goodness for your listening pleasure. My name's Mark Billingham, and I'm delighted to say that today I'm joined by the fabulous Chris Marshall. You might recognise Chris as the face of hit comedy series My Family, the film Love Actually, or even those BT adverts. And while we'll touch on those early years as a comedy actor, I'm a bit more interested in his time as D.I. Humphrey Goodman in the ever-popular crime drama Death in Paradise. We'll find out more about Chris's career, the trials and tribulations of filming on a Caribbean island, and what it's like to work with my wife. Yes, that's what I said. And right at the end, I'll ask him for his top book and TV recommendations, just in time for your Christmas lists. Unless you're listening to this in July, that is. If that's the case, you may just want to look them up yourself. Welcome to A Stab in the Dark. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Now, you've been in Death and Paradise for three series now. Uh, it's been going for five in total. So I guess the first thing I should ask you is, why do you think it's remained so so hugely popular? What's it, What keeps drawing in these millions of viewers every, every series? Uh, well, um, it is uh, uh, really no uh, no mistake of scheduling uh, by the BBC that uh, that they place it um, right slap bang in the middle of probably the most depressing time uh, of the uh, annual calendar, um, and that being uh, the uh, sort of January after the festivities of New Year and the overindulgence of Christmas has finished and. Um, and everyone is A, broke, uh, B, cold, and C, back at work. Uh, <laughs> and D, uh, looking on the internet to book holidays. There's summer holidays, rather. Um, and I think that that is part of it. Um, so why is it popular? I think it's, um, it's what I call murder with nice hair. Right. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> I think I think it's quite cross demographic. I think it's uh, interesting for the whole family. I think it's one of those sort of um, you know across the rainbow shows that can you know you can dad can sit down and and under the auspices of working out what the crime is, you know have a look at the nice ladies on screen. Um, the the wife can uh, you know uh, get her sleuthing hat on and uh, and the kids can enjoy the uh, the comedy of the cat from Red Dwarf. I mean. <laughs> There's a, what, what else do you want? What, what more do you want? What I is mean, not to like? You know, on I, a cold January. But aside from the show, I mean, I hadn't realised that thing about... I mean, is there an upswing? Does the tourist industry in the Caribbean kind of see an upswing after every series goes out? Well, I couldn't speak um, on behalf of the whole Caribbean uh, tourist industry, obviously. Um, I, I think they enjoy quite uh, quite bullish uh, bookings at the best of times. But um, for Guadeloupe, the island we film on, their uh, bookings... and. Um, Tourist uh, infrastructure, building and all that kind of stuff has uh, uh, gone up exponentially. We film in a very small part, arguably the most beautiful part of the island, which is quite a big island. It's one of the biggest islands on that string of the Lesser Antilles. One side is uh, quite flat, quite sort of savannah-like, quite sort of um, pastoral and arable. 
Um, and the other side is very uh, verdant, lush, um, virgin rainforest and volcanoes. A sort of arguably original Caribbean, really. Right. Or original French West Indies. Um, and it is um, a, a wonderful place. It's, it's absolutely beautiful to, to live and film there. And you just said you're not really a spokesman for the tourists, but you, you could easily be. Well, what, yeah, what well, well maybe that's my future role. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, um, we, we have noticed whilst we've been filming over the last sort of uh, four years, four series I've done, a massive influx of foreign um, visitors, obviously from the UK. Right. Um, where, whereas before we never had anyone from the UK. I mean, French West Indies, apart from maybe St. Bart's, isn't really on the sort of radar of British tourists. Um, I'd like to think there's the odd one, the odd holidaymaker there, who's so kind of gripped by the whole concept of the series that they get there and then they spend the whole time looking around going, I don't like the look of him. Oh, he's a victim. He's going to, he's, he's next. Yeah. You, know, you know these people that always volunteer to move into Coronation Street whenever somebody moves out. A sort of, you know, it, there are people that take it a little yeah, bit too seriously. idyllic equivalent of murder on the Orient yes. Express. You now, know. I, I'm, I'm going to talk a bit later to you about, about the specifics of filming on, on Guadeloupe. But it's such a, uh, a hugely watched show. You must get a lot of kind of recognition in the street now as Humphrey. I mean, people kind of waving a hello, Humphrey, or whatever it is. is that? Yeah, I yeah. mean... Uh, I, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have been uh, a part of a, a few sort of fairly big shows during my time, but um, this one really is uh, something else. I think there's something about the um, nature of crime dramas that really captures people's imagination, especially w w with the books now. There's, there are books that um, the creator of Death in Paradise, Robert Thurgood, writes uh, with the characters um, uh, from Death in Paradise, um, not my character as of yet. And I think that people really sort of buy into that whole cluedoness of the, yeah. of the thing, you know, and it's sort of um, there's, there's the whole Miss Marple-esque sleuthing. That, that character, I mean, obviously you don't have to like a character to play a character. It's not always the way. But do you like Humphrey? Is he someone you'd go and have a drink with? I mean, where would you take him? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always played him as someone not a million miles away from me. I do like him, yeah. I, I think the clue's in his name, good man, yeah. good man. I think, yeah. um, I think he's an honest gentleman. Uh, I think that um, with the series that's uh, uh, coming out, um, that we've just finished filming, and, and series four for me and series six overall in, in terms of the series and will soon become a UK, UK TV, I think that... Um, we see a different side to him, a bit more of a more expansive side to him uh, than maybe necessarily we've seen before, which I really love playing. I found, um, uh, because as an actor, you always w wish for a, a, a more multi-layered uh, character than necessarily an hour's um, show where you have to solve a crime and introduce all the characters and, and then have a 13-minute denouement, you know, right. at the end could right. necessarily allow you. So... Um, You've got the arc of a whole series, well, a number of series to develop the character. I mean, you're still you're still yeah. doing those things, and you're still this kind of empathetic, likable character at the heart of the story. But you've you've got room to kind of to stretch the character over a number of episodes, haven't you? Yes, that's true. Um, but also, you know, you are kind of limited by the things I've just said. You know, by those sort of, you know, by the fifty nine minutes that uh, that is uh, sure. BBC Hour. However, um, the last two series, especially. Um, uh, our producers um, and our creator have um, tried to sort of, you know, not mess with the format because I think that would be cheating our audience. But I think that um, within that template, we can. There's enough room for nudging and, and, and for example, you know, there's um, uh, a denouement in this uh, uh, 
following series where instead of normally having all the suspects in one room, you know, with the summing up of the case, which is the kind of uh, a sort of pastiche of Miss Marple, um, we, we we completely turn that on its head, and so uh, little things like that, and and. I mean, looking for different ways to murder people is really quite hard. <laughs> quite fun, though. It's quite great. Fun. I mean, like I you mean, say, you can nudge it, but you can't, you can't take liberties. There's not going to be an episode where Humphrey falls on his head, bangs his head, and the whole episode is a dream. Or, a, you know, there's aliens coming. I mean, you can't, you know, there's only so much you can do when you've got a format that is so wildly popular. Right? Yeah, I think someone told me when I was a very young actor, and, and nothing to do with this show or any, or any show, really. I was in theatre at the time. And I think someone told me that you can play with an audience, but you can never cheat them, they'll never forgive you. Yeah. I think that's very true, you know. Yeah. I think I think that's very true for this genre as well. Especially think, crime know. fans of crime fiction. They you can't cheat them. You, they you, really you, they, they know the rules and if you don't play by them they get very stroppy very quickly. They will uh, find a new way of murdering you. They, <laughs> they, they know plenty. Well, that's a bit about the show and a bit about the character, but before we really get stuck into Death in Paradise, um let's talk about your career a little bit. You started off in comedy roles. Um with my family Love Actually and you won the British Comedy Award for best newcomer in 2002. Has comedy always come naturally to you? Has that always been your kind of first instinct, a comedic one? Um, it's it's kind of funny you say that. I mean, I, I was very much a straight actor or considered myself a straight actor when I was in theatre before I even broke into TV and, and films uh, or was fortunate enough to break into TV and films. I, I, I was always uh, maybe a, a rather boyish um, Sort of feckless. Uh, <laughs> Was that what you said in Spotlight? They'd be your yeah. picture under boyish and feckless. Yes, yeah, special skills, <laughs> amongst others. And horse riding. Yeah, and roller skating. Yeah, um, but uh, juggling—that's omnipresent. That is juggling. Um, every, every, does every actor have to juggle at some point? A few circus skills. I think everybody I think, has to do some of I that. I think they right? had to. I'm not sure. I think it's sort of a bygone of the the power of equity. I think from the. <laughs> From the old days. Well, I'm an actor sure. friend of mine once told me that the trick is that whenever you're asked if you can do something, you just say yes yeah, because yeah, you can always yes. learn it later. Of you course. Know, can you fence? Yes. Can you speak Swahili? No problem. And no, then you learn yeah. it later. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> the, 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 it never, yeah, the golden rule is never say no. Never shut that door on you. Well, you, I think you've said in the past, you said, I consider myself as a serious actor with a funny face and good timing. Mm. I've done a lot of serious stuff that people don't recognise me for. But now you've done a, a lot more serious roles. Do you feel a bit less pigeonholed in, in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in many ways, uh, I think there's two ways you can look at it. You can say, oh, you can say, oh, look, I've been pigeonholed, and 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 I don't like it. But or you can look at it in the way of pigeonholing someone is actually um, a different way of saying uh, you found your uh, a niche, your corner, yeah. and you're protecting it. And people say when they look for when they're looking for a character who's in that corner, they go, "Give me that guy." You know, that's the guy we want, or someone a bit like that. You know, so if if you're, I, I don't like to see it as being pigeonholed, because I always consider all of my characters, and some people will disagree with me. But I will always consider some all my characters to be ever so slightly different because they they are different people and, and have different um, mos and different sort of you know backstories. Um, uh, that thing of, of, of when you're known for comedy I mean I, I used to work many years ago as a stand-up and that thing that happens when after a show somebody would be buttonholing you at the bar and they get really quite offended that you're not being funny yeah. and it's like you know they, you go well I'm not working now mm. and they think you're, you're a miserable bugger because you're not constantly sort of you're, you're not, not always on, all the time. on yeah um, the other day I someone stopped me in the street I've got um, I'm trying to get my daughter into a car seat she's 11 months old right. <laughs> trying to get my daughter into a car seat she's absolutely having a Hiroshima meltdown <laughs> you know of um, 
massive proportions and not about this getting into this maxi cosy or other car seats other car seats uh, are available other car seats are available um, and um, yeah and um, and I'm, I'm juggling my son as well who's trying to play with his um, his toys and, and, and get him in the car get his seatbelt on and this woman comes up to me and says oh, can I have a selfie Great timing. Brilliant Her timing. timing's even better than Her timing is even better than mine. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant timing. I mean, the look I gave her, she was like, oh, all right. Mm. He's not very nice, is he? Yeah. Real You're life. not as nice as you are on that Caribbean murder mystery thing. Oh, yeah. I thought you'd be uh, all smiley and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I live a real life as well. Yeah. But you, So you moved from my family to things like Funland and Murder yep. City, which were, you know, decidedly darker. Was that just kind of an accident? Was that just the way it happened or was that kind of a deliberate attempt to try and do things that were you know very different in tone i think it was a mixture of both actually i, I think that um uh in reality when 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 you were younger you know you you know you have these big big ideas about what you want to be when you're a young actor and stuff like that and you, and you, and you don't like to get pigeonholed <laughs> yeah. and, and you know you don't uh and you, and you want to move on in different ways and um, uh, but then the, rea- the realities of you know being a young actor and, and the fact that there's always someone coming up on your shoulder and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, it's a mixture of both. I think you know it's a mixture of the reality of the business and the fact that it is a hard, hard business to work in, and you want to keep yourself current and keep yourself, um, you know, not ubiquitous, but you know, available and around and you know, in the in the public eye and. But also, you you don't want to um, carry on doing the same thing, otherwise you just choose an office job. So um, it's a, sort of a mixture of both, really. I mean, I was it, it, Murder City was definitely a, a, a decision to try and move away from the rather crazy inane son in you know in a family sitcom, mm. um, but albeit with a, with a sense of a modicum of humour, but darker humour. Um, Fanland was a, again an, another decision, you know, to move even further away from that. And um, I had an amazing time working on Fanland and, and the guys from Jeremy Dyson, the League of Gentlemen guys, Mark Gatiss. And, mm. um, I mean, Love Actually was just a, a, you know, for me, was it just a no-brainer. You know, do you oh, want to do yeah. a film with an alumni of of right. enormous British and American yeah. TV film stars? People don't tend to go. I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. You, <laughs> Yeah, but are the characters, is it going to be... No, I'll do it, please. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you very much. Um, ironically, I, I, I think we, all of us only did about 12 days filming each on that film, and it's one of those films that just... It seems like we worked on it for years, yeah. but we only actually only did 12 days filming on it, and it's sort of... That really is a ubiquitous film. I mean, it is, you know, it's... And I'm sure it'll be shown again this Christmas. I, I'm sure of it will Of course be. it will. So then along comes Death in Paradise. Was it, was, that, was it a show you were aware of or a fan of before you went up for the part? Um, I was aware of it. Um, my wife was a fan of it. My wife is actually a, a fan of the genre. Um, she's a big fan of, um, you know, uh, Poirot, Marple... Hetty Wainthrop. Hetty Wainthrop. Hetty Wainthrop investigates. Wainthrop, yes, thank you. Um, and um, yeah, she was a big fan of all that. That she loves a good crime drama. So she she had watched it, and I had seen it in passing, uh, because um, we filmed during our summer, for it to be um, transmitted during the winter. So I was ju- so around sort of February when the second series was going out. Um, I was in the process of auditioning for uh, replacing Ben. Right. 
uh, Ben Miller. And um, so I watched the whole of the second series. And right. Became a bit of a fan of it then. But my wife um, was 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 quite a big fan of the show before that, and an even bigger one in the second series, and a little bit of one in the third, fourth, and fifth. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lots more to come from Chris, but first, let's segue seamlessly to a Stab in the Dark's undercover reporter, Paul Hirons, as he catches up with the actor who Chris Marshall replaced in Death in Paradise, Ben Miller. Of course, before Chris's Humphrey Goodman, there was Ben Miller's Richard Paul, a stuffy, suit-wearing lover of bureaucracy who set the fish-out-of-water English Man Abroad template that has made Death in Paradise such a success. Earlier this year, we spoke to Ben about Richard Poole when he was promoting Death in Paradise on UK TV's drama channel. He started off by telling us about Richard, his lovable foibles and what makes him a brilliant detective. Richard Poole, well, his heart's in the right place. He's a very honourable, he's a very, very honourable man. Cannot really judge other people's emotions. The thing, the thing that I really loved about him as a character and was kind of one of my secrets that I had was Richard can't tell when somebody's telling the truth, which is why his partnership with Camille is so important, because Camille is very uh, intuitive and emotionally literate and all those things that Richard isn't. One of my favourite things that we used to do, and it's not, I don't know that it's ever captured in the, in the series, is that Camille would give me little nods I would look to her to, to to know whether someone was telling the truth. This is this, and actually, this makes him a brilliant detective, because because he has no idea whether anyone's telling the truth. He has, has to ask them very specific questions. He's also insensitive to their emotional state. So you might have just lost a relative. Uh, you know, a, a, a refuse truck might have just backed over your <laughs> relative, and they've been you know banged over the head and tumbled back into a wheelie bin and then compacted by a uh, some sort of rubbish compactor. And Richard will have no, you know, he'll basically have no compassion whatsoever. He's not uncompassionate. And if someone says to him, you know, they've just had their relative, you know, they've just had their, his brother was just killed, compacted. And like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, you know, so he's a kind of, he's a good, he's a good person. He just simply cannot tell he can't judge people's emotional states and he doesn't know whether they're lying or not. So Richard Paul there, a good person, but a bit socially challenged. Now, whenever anyone talks about Death in Paradise, people want to know what it's really like filming for six months in Guadeloupe. Chris is going to talk about it in a little while, but here's Ben telling us what it's really like filming in, well, well paradise. So this house was a, was a build, actually. I mean, in the story, he inherits it from... Uh, the previous incumbent detective inspector on the island and it's just amazing so it's on this fantastic stretch of beach on uh, Basseterre which is the volcanic island it's this beautiful stretch of sort of I'd say fawn coloured sand it's not white sand you get white sand the white sand beaches in the show are on the other island Grantaire and when you see the brown sand beaches those are on the volcanic island and it just faces straight out to sea but it's a very there's a very shallow run out on the beach so you can run into the water for, you know, uh, I mean, you can run into the water for a good 100 yards. I really wanted to spend the night, I mean, I really wanted to spend the night there, you know, and actually stay there. Um, unfortunately, the taps don't work. I mean, it's not, really, it's not really, it's not a real place. There were always people who once said, I, don't, I wouldn't mind uh, living in the shack at night, uh, you know, and I'll be, I'll be cleared out and by, for filming in the morning. But unfortunately, it doesn't quite work. You know, it doesn't quite work. It is a set, but it's just the most fantastic set. 
beautifully designed so there's just this fantastic picture window at the end where you can see this perfect Caribbean view and do you know one of our main concerns about that set was the view through the window looks so perfect we what we were worried that people would think it was CGI that's not CGI there's no CGI in the show actually that view through the window of that beach is the view through the window in that show sounds like a really tough life but it turns out that Ben isn't as much of a stickler for rules as his character was I remember at one point um, there was uh, we were having a <laughs> it sort of all arrived at the beginning of for one season's filming. I think it was the second, you know, the second year uh, that we made the show, and there was a big party on the beach, and everyone was sort of chatting and stuff. And I just thought, I'll just, I'll just wander down and you know, and just go and paddle in the, you know, just have a little, take my shoes off and just paddle. And uh, there was a sign I could see. It said, you know, swimming forbidden or whatever it was in in French. And I just thought. Oh, God, so stuffy, aren't they? You know, oh, so everything's so health and safety. And I just wandered into the sea. And I kid you not, I went up to about my knees in the water. And it was like somebody grabbed me around my ankles and pulled me underwater by this current. And then it started pushing me out uh, into the bay. So I sort of fight it's so to panic and it was everybody on the uh, beach just sort of you know toasting one another and it was that classic thing i was going ah, hey, hey, people a couple of people sort of waving <laughs> like the uh, i really thought i was going to get drowned uh, before i've even begun i'm going to be a, you know a, a, i'm going to be a victim a, a murder possible murder victim on my own show thankfully somebody had been telling me at the hotel the night before, because we've been talk, talking about this very beach, this very beach, which is you don't try and swim back, you then swim, you swim out. So then you swim out with the current, and then round to the edge of the bay, and then come in at the edge because the tide, the rip tides are all in the middle of the bay. So that's a tip. That's a good tip. If you try and swim back in, you exhaust yourself, and that's when people sometimes get into difficulties. Just swim with the current, swim out to sea, swim round, and then come in at the edge of the bay. So almost literally a death in paradise there. Thank goodness he survived. So that was Chris's predecessor, Ben Miller, talking about his time on Death in Paradise. Let's head back to Mark and Chris in the studio. So, Chris, you placing Ben Miller in a hugely successful show. Yeah. There must have been some pressure attached to that. Uh, there was actually. Um, it was. It did well in the first series. I think it got about five and a half million series average, which is pretty good yeah. these days. But then it really started to uh, take off in the second series. And I think the series average was about seven point nine eight. I, I'm, you know, these figures I don't hold me to these figures, but <laughs> but it, I mean, eight million for a show is incredible in this uh, day and age. Incredible. And then and then um, then obviously you know left. And um, I think there's something fatalistic about me that that, that sort of quite like the idea that this could really go down in flames, you know, this could really go quite badly. But I knew that I could, I knew I, I knew I, I could do a bit of a job on it. I knew that I had something to give, I think, to the show, or, I, or at least I thought I did, um, uh, I, I, whether that was a misapprehension or not. Y yeah, very early on, I, I felt the pressure, actually, uh, because uh, it wasn't just the pressure of, you know, taking over a, a, a show from, you know, someone as luminary as, as Ben and... Uh, and a successful show at that, but also you know a, a genre that people are quite uh, quite fastidious about, quite passionate. Passionate, passionate. Thank you very much. Yeah, passionate about. But also, you know, all the sort of 
the critics and the, you know, I mean, people say they don't read the critics, but it's very hard not to. Um, you know, I was very aware of people's, um, you know, hopes and fears for, for, for my tenure and the show as a whole, everyone from uh, the, uh, the dear old auntie, uh, BBC One, and um, uh, all the way down to the, 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 the viewer, you know, and Radio Times readers. But, um, it, you know, I, I was, I, I thought I could do something with it. And, and, and really, a really easy part of, of, of my, sort of tra- the transition for me and, and, and me getting into the show was the way I was welcomed by the crew and the cast. Um, you know, at that point, um, it was, uh, apart from Ben, uh, the complete original cast, completely original cast. Because I'm sure, I'm sure they were, uh, uh, you know, thinking, what's going to happen here? You know, what's this, what's this guy going to bring to the table? Um, is he going to be any good? Is he going to be different? You know, how is this going to work? Are we going to have any show left? You know, um, all these things which <laughs> well, because, matter to an because actor. Because it's a big cast know? and crew who work on, who've been working on this every year. And if the show doesn't work, all those people are out of work. Well, I mean, yeah. it's a big, you know, you are responsible in a way for quite a lot of other people. For me, I felt that pressure as well, you know. I didn't really want um, people to be getting an early bath, you know, just because of me. <laughs> so, um, but they really made me feel welcome when they, you know, necessarily needn't have done. And and um, and within a couple of weeks, so I, uh, in Series 3, we actually shot the second episode first uh, and the first episode second. So I actually had an episode to myself where I could just get my feet out of the table without Ben sort of being there in the background, you right. know, the handover, you know, so to speak. And uh, because Ben was obviously in the first episode of series three, the, 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 there was an added pressure, you know, to really, to really sort of be different and yet, um, you know, not upset the apple cart. Um, so I had an episode to myself, which was really um, useful, actually um, critical for me because it gave me a good, it takes about two and a half weeks to film one episode. Right. Two and a half to three weeks to film one episode, and and so I had a good three three and a half weeks out there on my own, um, and just to get my head down, you know, um, sample the pitfalls as well of filming in the Caribbean. Like, the, well, did, did the, I need to come on to the pitfalls? Yes, because three. So you didn't upset the apple cart, and three series later, four series yeah. later, here we are. But this, and I'm sure most people's reaction when they they find out what, that you film this in the Caribbean, so on, is, oh, it's all right for some mate. Um, I know a little bit about this because I mentioned my wife at the, the top of the show, and in the interest of full disclosure, I should mention that my wife uh, worked as a director on the series that is that is yet to go out. Did a couple of episodes. She's always telling me how hellish hard work it is out there in the Caribbean. You know, I'd be talking to her on Skype. Oh, nightmare this, nightmare that. And I'd, is she just saying that to make me feel better when I'm at home, kind of cleaning up cat sick and emptying the bins? I mean, is it really? <laughs> is it really that that much hard work? There is an element. It is extremely hard to work out there, and I and I. So there is this caveat. It is extremely hard in a different way. We work incredibly long hours, and the heat is because we film during hurricane season. It's not like the sort of Caribbean holiday that people think it is. You know, where it's December. Yeah. You know, Christmas on the beach. You know, twenty eight degree, twenty eight degrees with a prevailing wind. You know. And, Rather, rather beautiful and, and blue skies. It's very oppressive heat. Um, the last week of my um, uh, filming for me was forty-two degrees. Yikes! Pretty hot, but it's not a. It wasn't a. It's not a sort of dry heat. It's an incredibly oppressive heat. There are mosquitoes everywhere. 
Um, there are other wildlife. There is other wildlife. Isn't there some? Along. Isn't there some hideous killer caterpillar? <laughs> My wife was telling me about some some really evil caterpillar that can really bite in a you know as a bite like a dog. Or maybe again, this was this was making me feel better. I mean, about there the is a caterpillar that isn't uh, because of my sort of critical look. Is it, there is a caterpillar which is quite poisonous. But he doesn't really bite like a dog. Oh, right. um, uh, but there is a, a, a centipede. Oh, it's that centipede. Poison centipede. centipede yeah. Scalapandra, which is um, it's literally like a centipede that has been armor plated by the U.S. Army to survive nuclear winters. Right. Um, it is. It is. It is mean. I mean, and everyone who comes out there says, "I'm pretty sure I saw a scalapandra last night." Yeah, it had millions of legs, and I was like, "No, it's a millipede." No, no. Well, oh, right. Well, what's it? Which one's a scalapandra? Trust me. When you see one, you'll know it. You'll know it. They're they're like brownie red, long bodies, with legs like that. And I'll, I'm putting the legs at right angles. Just, just the mime that, that Chris is doing at the minute, listeners. Like you a, really do not want to run into one of these things like on a dark a night. Mantis, and they move really quickly, <laughs> and they can grow up to about a foot long. So about like that. And they're, and they're mean and they pack a hell of a punch. Uh, oh, do they get into, like, the villas and the hotel? Yeah. You have to, like, check your shoes and all yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're very prevalent in villas. The the hotel where the crew stays, um, they're, they're, they're not so prevalent because it's right... It's on a sort of promontory um, sticking out into the, into the sea. So they're not particularly coastal. I don't know why they're not in the hotel. It's sort of one of those sort of bizarre things. They haven't things. got a reservation. They haven't got a reservation. The hotel's full, don't yeah. Um, and and if you're on a higher floor, they tend not to go. They, they tend to be ground floor dwellers. <laughs> they don't like the lifts very much. Um, but uh, but if you're in a villa um, and a lot of the crew, long stay, um, the long standing crew, and you know, cast are in villas, they are very prevalent. I mean, you see them a lot. Um, wow. And the and the weather isn't always idyllic, is it? I mean, it's oh not. God, no. You know, there's there's. Uh, my wife told me about one particular very hairy boat trip where they had to go across to Montserrat, which mm, is a, yeah. a neighbouring island, but it's still what forty five minute boat ride away or something. More, quite yeah, a long boat yeah, ride, yeah, quite a long which boat was ride. a bit hairy by all accounts. So yeah. I mean, you know, it, it like any filming, stuff can go wrong, stuff happens. I mean, it's not yeah. just one idyllic bounty commercial after another, is no, it? No, and also we don't have the infrastructure to film out there either. Um, so. Um, one one sort of thing that sort of started to happen with the film Death in Paradise is because it being a fairly small Caribbean island, we we do we are sort of now we're, now we're on to sort of we've done six series of this. We are kind of running out of locations <laughs> on the island, you know, to film in that we haven't filmed before to make it look new and interesting. And to do that, we've got to go further and further afield. And what's it like when you come back after filming? I mean, you've got months and months out there. Yeah. What's it like when you get back and you get out of a get off a plane at Heathrow and it's drizzling and you're you're back here, it's back to reality. It's glorious. Yeah? It's glorious. It's glorious. And I go to the pub and I have a pint of Guinness and it's absolutely wonderful. A pint of stout, I should say. Any stouts. You're going to be getting an awful lot of free car oh, seats God, and I... free Guinness <laughs> at, the, at the end. <laughs> this goes out. Yeah, what else? What do I really yeah, need? Yeah, what do I really what like? I I'm starting to think about this now. Really? Um, Christmas is coming. I really so. think Aston Martins are wonderful cars. We don't uh, use one in the there. show, but I'm uh, thinking we might next year. Really? I think it's good to be back. So I, I, I go and have a nice cold drink, um, yeah, a pint in, in, in my local. There's a fire burning, and I get to wear a scarf for the first time and shoes for the first time in six months. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely glorious, and the wet, and you know I'm not worried about have I got my mosquito repellent on and all that kind of stuff. 
it is absolutely wonderful um, until I'm on the M4 about a week later. I'm stuck in traffic mm. somewhere in between Reading and Newbury for absolutely no reason whatsoever. You know, probably because someone's lost a Murray Mint on the motorway or something like that. I don't know, something... You know, and I'm and I'm and I'm sat there thinking, why did why was I why did I spend the last three months of filming in this idyllic Caribbean location, hankering after being in this cold, miserable country? <laughs> yeah, um, grass is always greener. Um, but, um, you know. Now you can see Death in Paradise weeknights uh, at eight p.m. on Alibi from the middle of December and throughout January. But series six is just around the corner on the BBC. Now, obviously, no spoilers, but can you tell us something about series six? What can we expect? Well, uh, we have a new series regular in Series Six, okay. um, who is um, kind of kind of connected to Humphrey's character. Uh, it is Humphrey's potential new love interest. Ah, um, okay. Uh, uh, Martha, played by the wonderful Sally Breton, um, and uh, she is a series regular, as I just said, which sort of tends to suggest that you know that Humphrey may be involved in a bit of a long or longer ter- a longer term relationship than well we've not seen him in any kind of relationship at all so far but uh, viewers are going to love that they love a bit, I mean you know they love the crimes they love all that but they they like a little bit of you know complex emotional involvement and that yeah, sort of stuff yes and um not only that you know um with Humphrey Goodman um it being Humphrey Goodman it, it really is uh, not a foregone conclusion this um you know the, the path of true love never doth run smooth and it certainly doesn't with uh, Humphrey Goodman in series 6 of Death in Paradise either i mean it really is uh, uh there's a lot of change. There's a lot of ups and downs in this series. It's, it's a series I'm most proud of out of the four I've done, actually. Great. Well, pl- plenty there that, that, that viewers will be gagging for. So, but what's next for you? What's next for you, Chris? Well, at the moment, um, I am uh, in a realm of house husbandry at the moment. Uh, because I had a daughter earlier this year, and unfortunately, because of one thing or another, including my son's nursery and... and um, Zika virus on the island where we were filming and, and, right. and, and the heat and, and my wife having been there for three years already. <laughs> um, uh, a number of factors meant that they couldn't travel with me this year, which is a bit of a shame because it was a long time to spend away from mm. my newborn daughter. So so having left my wife to basically single parent for most of the summer whilst I um, whooped it up in the Caribbean, should we say. Whooped it up. Whooped it up in the Caribbean, should we say, uh, at least as far as she's concerned. Um, I uh, the the worm has well and truly turned, and I am uh, now um, indulging in my own form of single parenting. While my wife um, uh, writes her new book, and I am uh, looking after the kids when they wake up teething and dosing out cowpole willy nilly here and mm. there. Uh, I've just uh, wanted some cowpole, so I just thought I'd say that. Yeah, you also threw Murray mints at one point there. <laughs> So, I mean, we're we're expecting whole hampers. Uh, In each episode, we ask our guests to bring in their recommendations for a good read and a good watch. So, Chris, what have you read recently that you'd recommend to our listeners? Well, um, and this is going to be uh, a bit of a sort of um, an interesting one. It's a not very well-known book. I was reading uh, something in one of the newspapers. I'm not going to name check them. I'm going to learn from my mistakes <laughs> uh, about about um, uh, how what Joe was become of Jersey 
as a as a as an island, you know, since it be right. since it became high finance, you know, and, and since Bergerac ended, since Bergerac <laughs> ended, and uh, yeah, the 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 financiers moved in, and um, and um, they mentioned this book called uh, about sort of private detective called Marigold Dark, who um, is trying to get to the bottom of some rather shady goings on in uh, Jersey's financial um, establishments, and um, and so I thought that would that would be quite an interesting read. Um, so I, I got it, um, and it was um, a sort of self-published on Amazon um, by a, a wonderful writer called Paul Bisson, um, and that's what I read. The, the title is the, it's an um, eponymous, I think, uh, book uh, um, called Marigold Dark. And Marigold it's, uh, Dark by Paul Bisson. By Paul Bisson. It, it was a wonderful book. It's an, a, 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 a hilarious um, and tragic in equal measure. I, I really loved it, and I would urge anyone to read it. Okay, you... great. Thank you. And what about a TV crime drama? Death in Paradise all the way. No, I mean... Obviously. <laughs> obviously Death in Paradise. Um, no, I, I... I mean, I'm a massive fan of the old crime dramas, and uh, really, uh, Rockford Files is one oh. for me. I mean, I love... I'm a massive fan of Jim, um, James, you know... James Garner. He died um, earlier this year. He died one of many. Um, I was first introduced to him when I watched The Great Escape by my grandfather and my sort of um, late grandfather. And and, um, and then, you know, as a child watching TV, uh, I, I was uh, always watching The Rockford Files and I still watch them now. So I would ha- always have to say The Rockford Files. I know it's not really new. And maybe I, oh, I, I'm, not, matter. I'm not really current on all these kind of things. So... Form is temporary, class is permanent. This is true, this is true. And I'm sure the Rockford Files is available on box sets or it's available on some channel somewhere. Go watch the Rockford Files. Um, well, that's about it for this extra special episode of A Stab in the Dark. We'll be back again sooner than you think, inviting more big names from the worlds of crime fiction and TV crime drama into our lair. You can find out more about A Stab in the Dark, along with articles and some great book competitions, at uktv.co.uk slash dark. Or, if you have a recommendation for a guest or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, get in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag AstabInTheDark, or drop it in a review on iTunes, something like Best Podcast in History or... Bloody hell, that Mark Billingham sounds like a right sex god. You know the kind of thing. So with that, it's a huge thank you to my very special guest, Chris Marshall. Thanks to our producers, Sam Pearson, Paul Hirons, and Ashley Sullivan. My name's Mark Billingham. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 